You're listening to audio from the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regenerate, visit rivercitychurch.us. All right, here we are. So, uh, we're getting, but when I was in, so when I was in high school, uh, my older brother played football. Anybody have a brother or no, or did anybody play football or like know somebody that did like in high school? Okay, this is a big deal in, in Boundary County, Idaho. And my older brother, I remember him and his buddy, Sam Botkin, they used to say things like this, dude, we got the NFL made. <laughs> you, 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 did you know anybody like that in high school? Dude, we got the NFL made, got it made. And you're like, you are 17 years old and you are scrawnier than a fence post. And you think that you are going to make the NFL, right? Now, between, now to, my, to my brother's friend's credit, Sam Botkin's credit, he actually ended up, years later, he actually became a professional rugby player, which is actually somewhat similar, right? Kind of similar field. But a lot of times, like, we, there, we, when you're in high school, you have this, like, totally overblown view of yourself where you're just like, yeah, this, I got this made. I got this made. And so we, you have this, like, vision of your potential in high school that's different than it is later on in life. And slowly as you get older and your dreams get crushed, you begin to realize that, like, you're like, I'm, maybe I might not reach, reach my potential. Now, there are some of you guys, at this point in your life, a lot of you guys are looking at life in terms of your potential, what you can accomplish. And what's interesting is about, about um, church and spirituality is there's a lot of talk about your purpose and your potential. And what I want to talk to you guys about tonight is this, that uh, why is Christianity, uh, why, do people, or why are people even interested in Christianity? Why do people want to talk about their potential or their purpose? Because we believe that God created, there is a God out there who created you. And because he created you, he understands what your purpose is. And he understands all of the potential that is inside of you and all the things that you could be doing for his glory and for your good. As a result of that, we have to ask ourselves this. Can people actually change? Can you actually meet the potential that God has put inside of you? Or are you forced to be stuck in the same patterns of your life? Well, Christianity is predicated on this idea that you can become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old will pass away and the new will come. And when that happens, there's something that happens that we call regeneration. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Because this is, we're reading a letter from the Apostle Paul to Titus, who is a young leader. And he's saying, Titus, I want you to lead the church in the island of nation of Crete. I want you to set up elders in every city. And I want you to instruct people to live in a certain way. And tonight we get to explore a little bit more of why that is. By the way, last week, Pastor Largent Reeves spoke here at Regenerate. How many of you guys were blessed by Pastor Largent last week? Yeah, give him a what? Give him a shout out like a woo because he can hear you on here. So, yeah, so it was really great to to have him here. And he's a good friend of mine. Tonight we're going to be picking up right where he left off. So Paul's going to, continue, going to continue to give Titus instructions. And tonight, this is part of a series that we're calling, You Can Do This. Somebody say, You Can Do This. Because this is the voice of Paul speaking to the potential he sees in a young leader. And I want to tell you guys this. I see potential in you. I see potential in Gen Z. I see potential in who you are. Why do I see it? Because God sees it in you. And because God sees it in you, I believe that he wants to fulfill that in you. But the only way it's going to happen is if you get regenerated from the inside out. There is a work of God that has to happen inside of you that you will, you will never be able to meet your full potential. You will never be able to understand your purpose unless you are completely changed. And that doesn't happen through, this is for free, through, it does not happen through behavior modification. It has to happen through something that is deeper than that. And so tonight we're going to talk about what that 
is. Because you might be that kind of, you might have been that kid in high school who said, I've got the NFL made. Or I got the, the New York Philharmonic made. You know, and now you're sitting here going, I'm going to Lewis Clark State College. I don't know where how this gets me to the New York Philharmonic. Uh, you know, you might be sitting here going, I'm going to Lewis Clark State College, which doesn't have a football team. But maybe I can somehow get to the you know what I mean? You know what I mean? You may be at a point in your life where you're at a crossroads. Maybe, you're, maybe you have every confidence that you think you know what your life is all about. And I'm here to tell you that there's only one person who does. And he wants to speak to you tonight. So let's stand and read God's word together. Titus chapter 3. We're going to hear Paul's words to Titus, giving him further instructions on how to train the church to be who they're called to be. So let's read this all together. There's, we're going to be just be reading the first five verses of Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is from the English Standard Version. We'll start together on three. Just read along with me. Three, two, one. I, well, hey, that's backwards, isn't it? One, two, three, go. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. God, I pray that tonight my words would be Your words. Help us to make sense of this Scripture that's instructing us in what it means to be transformed by You. God, I pray that as we're looking to our own purpose in life, as we're looking towards what you might be calling us to be, who you're calling us to be, I pray you give us a clear view of who we are right now. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus tonight. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. And everybody who trusts in Jesus said, All right, have a seat, have a seat. Okay. The regeneration of God. I believe that God is interested in transforming your life. Just as he was interested in Titus's life being transformed. And what's interesting, you see this throughout Titus. Like, this is not just instructions for Titus. You ever notice that when Paul is speaking to Titus throughout this series, we've noticed that he's not just giving him instructions so that he can be a good person, right? So that he can make the NFL. He's not just speaking to Titus so that he, oh, we want you to reach your full potential because you're like a bottle of wine and you just, we got to get you to the right potential before somebody pops the bottle uh, cap off of you and suddenly you just get poured out on the world and your wonderfulness is seen for, by everyone. And he said, but he's saying this. There has to be, what's interesting is he's teaching Titus so that Titus might teach other people. Can I tell you something? Anytime that you get a word from God, anytime that you receive something from God, it is not just for you, but it is actually designed as a, to be a conduit of blessing for people around you. By the way, if somebody says something that speaks to your soul, you got to shout something like, or, ah, uh, yeah, okay, that'll work. So, yes. So if anything speaks to you tonight, I want you to shout back at me. I need a little bit of encouragement when I'm up here preaching. And so here's the interesting thing. 
there's something that's very important for you to understand. If you're going to be regenerated by God, if you're going to let your life be transformed, then you need something more than just knowledge. See, here's the thing. Many people, they come to God because we want, we come to God, we come, we come to church, we come to the church, to the college group, we come to the Bible study, we go to the youth group camp. We do all these things because we honestly believe that deep down inside of us, God wants to do something that's going to change our lives. We honestly, we, we believe that. We want something about us to change because we know that we don't want to stay exactly the same. But a lot of times we do this out of a vain sort of ambition. Going, maybe if I come to God, then he will meet me halfway. If I give God X, perhaps he will give me Y. If I give God some money, then maybe God will give me more money. If I come to God and say, God, I just surrender my life to you and my relationships, maybe God will give me a hot girlfriend. You know, if I come to God, I will get the cute boyfriend. If I come to God, I will get, Right? But what's interesting is this, there's a very important principle we learn here, and it's right there in verses 1 through 2. So here's the first point tonight. If you want to be changed by God, and you want to be a change in the lives of others, you need to understand, number one, humility is the heart of Christian faith. It's right there in verse 1. He says, he says Titus, here's what I want you to remind people to do in, in Crete. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Stop there. That is the most un-American statement I've ever heard in my entire life. Submit to authority. Are you for real? Our entire country was founded in 1776 so that we could shake off the tyranny of England. Where are they from? The U.S. of A. Do you know what that stands for? It stands for you suck authority. Like that. You know what I mean? That's the way that we treat things in this country. It is, but he says, be submissive to rulers and authorities. He didn't say... Be critical of rulers and authorities. He didn't say, I want you to trash other people on social media who disagree with you politically. Ouch. He did not say that you need to live in rebellion and just live a punk rock lifestyle. I love rock and roll. But I have to admit that the, rock, the, that the music that I, some of the music that I love is actually born out of a desire to rebel against authority. And the crazy thing is that Paul is teaching us that Christianity is actually about humility. And part of having a heart of humility is submission to rulers and authorities. Then he says to be obedient. And you're like, well, obviously that means be obedient to God. No. The context is rulers and authorities. He's like, I want you to be obedient to your parents. I want you to be obedient to your parents. Professor, I want you to be obedient to the civic authorities. I want you to be obedient to the person that you didn't even vote into office because you didn't agree with their politics. Hello. Humility is the heart of the Christian faith. So he says we need to submit to rulers and authorities, be obedient, and be ready for every good work. A Christian is a person who should be ready at all times. Yeah, you want to get, make the NFL? Okay, then are you ready right now for a talent scout to look at you? Be obedient and produce good works. He said, and look, he goes on in verse 2, to speak evil of no one. That means you don't get to participate in the same kind of gossip that you used to participate in before you, became, before you came to Jesus. He says you need to avoid quarreling, be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. You know, there's something that happened in Christian history that I think completely changed the way that the church behaves. 
And it has to do with the fact that Christianity became legal around, I think that was 381, uh, was the Council of Nicaea. But in the year 800, something crazy happened. And a ruler named Charlemagne was trying to unite all of Europe underneath his power. And in order to, to get that power, he requested that the leader of the church in Rome, the Pope, anoint him as king of the Holy Roman Empire. At that moment, church and state became married and Christendom began. And a world was ushered in where Christianity was no longer a subversive subculture, but it became the majority culture. And ever since, and we have been struggling ever since then, ever since 800 AD, we have struggled with humility. We have struggled with the idea that we as Christians don't always get the things that we want when we want them. And that we are, and then, and then we make up ghouls and bad guys who are out there who are trying, and we make up these culture wars to make ourselves feel good about sinning. And we say, we're standing up for what we believe. No, we're just not even, we're not even trying to subvert culture. We're trying to change culture to look Christian, even if it has nothing to do with following Jesus. We just want it to look Christian so that we can feel better, so that we don't get persecuted by other people. But Jesus said you're supposed to suffer. Humility is at the heart of the Christian faith. So your life ought to be marked by peace and kindness. In other words, God in his character wants you to look a little bit more like Mr. Rogers and a little less like William Wallace. Maybe those are really dated. I don't care. You know, those are like super dated. Like he wants, he's not, he does not want you to look like a super. He doesn't want you to look like Iron Man. He wants you to look like Mr. Rogers. He wants you to live a life that is full of peace and kindness to where when, when you pass away, people are going to feel it because it's going to be a huge chunk that's going to be ripped out of their lives. Humility is at the heart of the Christian faith. Two of Jesus' followers, and I believe this is in Mark chapter 10, two of Jesus' closest friends, James and John, they come up to him. This is on the road to Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Jesus is about to die on this road. But he's been performing miracles and, lot, and he's, very, he's very popular and he's number one on Twitter and all this kind of stuff. So, his, so James and John, his buddies, go, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus, Jesus. When we get to Jerusalem, we know that you're probably going to be crowned king and you're going to overthrow the Roman Empire and it's going to be wonderful. When that happens, which of us, me or Johnny, which of us is going to sit at your right hand? And he's like, are you, and I'm sure that Jesus, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'm sure that Jesus chuckled and then it was like, oh, you're for real. Oh, you have, oh you're for real. You think you're going to sit at my right hand. Okay, I don't think you understand what's about to happen to me. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they're like, yeah, because you're going to be king. So yeah, we want to be anointed with you. And he's like, I'm going to die horribly. And um, it's okay, though, because you know what? The cup that I drink, you will drink. And at the time, they're probably like, all right, and like gave each other a high five, not realizing that he's talking about, you're going to die, and you're going to suffer and die like me. Yeah, all right. Like, that doesn't sound super fun. But isn't it funny how, we've always, how people often struggle with humility? Now, why is it so important to have humility? Because humility is the, lens, the only lens by which you're going to understand reality. I was just reading in 1 Kings. Have you guys ever read the, read the story of uh, King Solomon? So King Solomon, wisest, you know, famously, he's the wisest king who ever lived. His father, David, was, had conquered, uh, had united all of Israel together. And it was this wonderful thing where it was like, wow, the kingdom of God that he promised to Abraham is finally coming to pass. 
And towards the beginning of the Bible, God had promised Abraham that he would occupy this land and that his people would be a blessing to the entire world. So it's like, oh my gosh, like the promise is coming to be, is coming to pass, right? This is good. But Solomon, uh, one night, Jesus, well, God, God comes to him in a dream. And he says, Solomon, ask me for whatever you want. It's like this weird, like, Aladdin moment where it's like, you know, rub the lamp and then like God comes out and says, ask me for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. You know, that's my best Robin Williams. Uh, um, and he, he's like, ask me for whatever you want and I'll, and I'll give it to you, sir. What do you want? And then he's like, and what's amazing to me is that he could have asked for anything. I don't know about you guys, but I've been like, all right, first of all, all my, I want all of my enemies dead. Okay. Number two, I want money. I want money. Okay. I, I want to get out of my student loans. I want to get, you know, I want to pay off the car. Oh, by the way, actually, no, maybe I should ask for a Maserati, you know. Like, there's so many different things you could ask for, right? But at the moment, he says this. I love the way they put it in the CSB. He he says, Lord, give me a receptive heart. A receptive heart. Isn't that amazing? Solomon understood, being the most powerful king in all of Israel's history, Solomon has this massive uh, kingdom that is underneath of him. And, the, and it seems like the promise of God is being fulfilled. And in order to see, that, to see that promise fulfilled in his life, the first thing he wanted was an open heart. He said, if I don't hear from you, there's no point to me being king. He says, who can judge this great people of yours? He knew that in order to live out what God had implanted in him, he needed to hear a word from God. The only way that he was going to be able to succeed as a king was to be humble in his heart. And the only way that you are going to be able to reach your potential in God is if you operate with that same humility. So be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient, ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling and show perfect courtesy towards all people. Now, what's interesting about this is it's easy to read the Bible, to read these kinds of passages, and then go, obviously, I thought the Bible was it's supposed to be about a relationship and it's not about do's and don'ts. But the challenging thing about Scripture is this. God does ask things of us, right? We can agree on that, yes? God asks things of us. You shall not steal, don't lie, murder, all that kind of stuff. Which most of the time we're like, yeah, sounds great. Other times it's like, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. And you're like, wasn't going to try that. But I guess I won't, you know. Uh, Sometimes his rules make sense. Sometimes they don't because of the cultural context. But here's the thing. Why do we obey God? And why do we seek to be transformed by God? And why do we want to understand, why do we have to understand that humility is at the heart of the Christian faith? Because it's the only way that you're going to see reality. And look how Paul does this. This is beautiful. He says, because this is the second point, you need to consider who you were. In order to let God transform you, the first thing you have to do is consider who you were. And it starts with humility. You have humility, you have the right set of glasses on to understand. Look at this list that he gives. This is like an all-star list. He says, verse 3, For we ourselves, that in, Paul's including himself in this. He says, Titus, all of us were in this boat. Every single person who puts their faith in Jesus, every single person who's following God falls into these categories. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Like, wow, that is bleak. But listen to this. He says, listen to this, who you were. This is a list of who you were before Jesus. Now, some of you guys are like, well, I was raised in a Christian home. Well, do you know Jesus? 
If you don't know Jesus, I got news for you. You're not a Christian. And it doesn't matter what kind of home you were raised in. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with your church attendance. It has nothing to do with how good of a person you think you are. Because this is reality. Do you want to know who you are apart from Christ? This is it. Number one, you're foolish. You make stupid decisions. Now, some of you guys are like, amen, I did that because I took out the loan and I shouldn't have. You know. Some of you guys are feeling that. Other times you're just, but if, if this list makes you upset, it's probably because you're blinded to who you really are apart from Christ and you need the lens of humility. Number two, you are disobedient. You disobeyed God repeatedly over and over on purpose. You say, that's not true. Yes, it is. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what it says in Romans. You are not special. You're not the exception to the rule. You were disobedient. Number three, deceived. You are led astray. You're like, nobody's led me astray. But the Bible says that if you're not serving God, you're serving the devil. Somebody is ruling your life. And if you're not following Jesus, you're being deceived by something or somebody else. It might even be you. In fact, most, important, most of the time, it is you. You're deceiving yourself into thinking that you're a great person and you're the best thing since sliced bread. But in fact, he says also right after that, that you are enslaved. You are a slave to sin is what it says in Scripture. That your selfish desires will drive your entire life. And what's crazy to me is like a lot of people will go, I can't believe that God would like, how can God hold my sin against me? Why would God send people to hell, right? That's a very big question that people have. But I like the way that C.S. Lewis put it. He said that if there's a pe- busload of people going to hell and you were to get on that bus and you were, you were going to say, uh, and you were to say, everybody, this bus is going to hell. Get off, get off the bus. You know what they would do? Nothing. There is nobody who lives in eternity apart from God who didn't choose it. Because the person who, who is blinded to their sin, who is enslaved, and enslaved to their own passions, all they're doing is thinking about themselves and their own pride, their own arrogance. And eventually that, now that's not a big deal now. But if, but if we live forever, a thousand years, two thousand years from now, that could be a big problem. You might have a slight anger problem now. But if that continues to fester and just grow and grow and grow and grow, that's the very definition of hell, is it not? And that's what happens when you continue to live your life like this. He says, we live day to day, full of malice and envy. We're despised by other people and we hated them back. We were full of ourselves and so we stood up for our own opinions and we didn't care. The devil may care what it does to other people. Now some of you go, that's a really bleak list. Exactly. Let me t- I'm going to share some really good news with you, but it starts with bad news. And the bad news is you have no idea how bad you really are. You have no idea. And it takes a work of the Holy Spirit to actually show you what's really wrong with your heart. Apart from God, Jesus even told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. He even said, this is also, this is in uh, Matthew chapter 7. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's who this is that Paul's describing. And guess who Paul realizes was in that boat? Paul. It's like, Titus, I was in this boat. But, somebody say, but. 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 
Here's the turning point. Look at this. Look at this. This is beautiful. Verse four. Verse four. He says we were hated by God. God, and he's but. And then he says in verse four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Come on. He's saying there was a point. Yes, you were completely lost apart from Jesus. Your life is a complete wreck. You're a hot mess without him. You are lost. You are enslaved. And you are going to continue to spiral into your selfishness forever and ever. And you will never get out of it. And you'll never choose anything better. Because ultimately, the only thing you think about is yourself. Now, some of you go, well, I struggle with self-esteem. And, I, and, I, and I actually, I'm, I'm actually not a proud person. No, that's not true. Because a lot of times when you're struggling with self-esteem, it's because you're thinking too much of yourself. Again, i got to refer to C.S. Lewis. He put it this way. Selflessness is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Are you, so you, are, you and I, apart from Christ, are foolish, arrogant, disobedient, blinded, lost, in short, dead. You can do nothing apart from God. But this is the good news of the Bible. This is beautiful. Because this is the second point. You first need to consider where you were. And some of you guys have never stopped to think about where you came from. And just how deep the rabbit hole went. And for some of you, it's because the pain is too great. You don't want to think about the past. But how are you going to experience the wonder of what God wants to do now if you don't understand the pain of what you went through? And I'm telling you guys this now. Later, as you guys graduate from college and stuff, you're going to be needing counsel you're going to be needing people to help lead you out of the pain of your past. Pain that you don't even fully understand right now. You're still young. But it's beautiful. I, I know this for myself. It's beautiful when you look back at some of the difficult things that, got, that you have been through. And then you begin to see the transformation that God does. Because look what he says. It says, his goodness and kindness appears. Whose goodness and kindness? God's goodness and kindness. It is not your goodness and kindness. It wasn't the goodness and kindness of a stranger. It wasn't the goodness and kindness of a benefactor. It was the goodness and kindness of God who appeared and he saved you. That's the good news is that you didn't deserve God, but he gave you himself. He came to you. He saved you. He saw the trajectory of your life. Yeah, I was saved at six years old. But you know what? Apart from the spirit of Christ in my life, I would be a complete loser. Given over to pleasing other people and making other people laugh. And trying to just make myself look good. I would be spending my entire life doing that. But thanks be to God who put me on the right track towards Jesus. He saved me. And it is only by understanding through the lens of humility that I see that. And I go, oh my gosh, my life has been changed by something that has nothing to do with me. He says he saved you not because of works. Somebody in the house needs to understand this. It is not by works that you are saved. Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The goodness of God appeared so that he might save you. So you need to consider who you are. He saved you, and it's not because of works, but according to His mercy. His mercy. Somebody say mercy. And just wave your hand like this. Mercy. <laughs> this is the thing. God had mercy on you. And some of you don't even realize that. There were times when you should have been completely, your life should have been completely destroyed. But God had mercy on you. 
And you're sitting here today because God loves you. It's not because you're a good person. It's because he's a good God. Now, how do he do this? How does God do this? How does God change us? And how do we actually consider where we really are? He says, you've been saved by God through the washing of the Holy Spirit. And he says, that he uses two words. He uses two R words, regeneration and renewal. Now, these are interesting words because like the word regeneration, polygenesias, uh, uh, only appears twice in the entire New Testament. And uh, what's interesting is the only other place it appears is in Matthew 19. 28, where Jesus says that in a renewed world, his disciples are going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He also says that you are saved by the washing of renewal of the Holy Spirit. Renewal. There's only one other place where this occurs, and it's in Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The way that God changes you is by renewing you spiritually from the inside out. There's a famous story in, in, uh, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. And actually, I'm gonna, I think it's worth looking at. Have you guys ever heard the story of Naaman? 2 Kings chapter 5. If you want there, it's, you, you can change. You can, uh, if you want, you can move your uh, bookmark there for a second. It's worth looking at. So in 2 Kings chapter 5, there's this guy named Naaman. It says, Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram, his uh, neighboring country to Israel. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram, Aram had gone on raids and brought back a young girl from, from the land of Israel who served as Naaman's wife, who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So the prophet is Elisha. And so this great man of God is living in Israel, and she says, hey, you know what? Name, he tells Naaman's wife, who she's serving, hey, you know what? He should go to Israel. If he goes there, I'll bet his skin disease will get healed. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel said. Therefore, the king of Aram said, go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. Um, and so then he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, and it read, when this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. Isn't it interesting that when we want to be transformed, when we see a difficulty in our life and we want to be changed, the first thing we do is we try to pay for it. <laughs> he goes to the king and says, I want you to pay, I I'm going to pay you so that you can heal me. But when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, am I God killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Recognize that he's only picking a fight with me. And so um, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now here's the thing. He's going, all right, a man of God, somebody who can heal me of my disease, who can help me to reach my full potential. So he arrives at Elisha's house, and he says, look at verse 10, Elisha sent him a messenger. So Elisha doesn't even show up in person. And said... Go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left saying, I was telling myself he will surely come out, stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Far Farpar, far, far, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? 
How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. Here's the thing. When Naaman went to Elisha, he said, or Elisha sends him a messenger. How many times when you want to encounter God, you want to go straight to the source. You go, I want to hear from God. I need a voice from heaven to say, this is the way you should go. But instead, you get a Bible. Instead, you get a Christian who knows God and says, hey, you know what? You ought to do this. That's stupid. Why should I do that? You need to wash in the river. In this, in this case, the river is, I need you to understand something. When, it's, when Paul's talking about being washed, it's like when Naaman went to that river. Paul says the only way that you can be changed, that you can be cleaned, is if you wash in the river. What river? The river. The river of God's presence. The, Holy, the work of the Holy Spirit that is accomplished through Jesus Christ. You've got to wash there. That is the, Jesus is the only river you get to wash in. And Naaman, like many of us, says, why can't I, if I want to reach my potential, if I want to have this issue cured in my life, why can't I just wash in the waters of any other religion? Why can't I wash in the waters of Buddhism? Why can't I wash in the waters of Islam or Hinduism or agnosticism or all these other things? Why can't I wash in there? Because if you want to be healed, you need to wash in this river. You've got to wash in this river, the river called Jesus. The river Jordan, the same river, this river that Naaman washed in is the same river that Jesus was baptized in generations later. He says, I want you to dip in this seven times. And he's upset because he didn't get, he didn't hear from God the way he wanted to hear. And he didn't hear from God what he wanted to hear. But he dips in the river. And by the time he comes up that seven times, that seventh time, he's clean. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Regenerate Podcast. And if you enjoyed our content, please feel free to subscribe. If you have any questions or would like to send us feedback, send us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Regenerate, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.